Hey, 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 welcome to the Made Sessions with CliffCentral.com. Um, we're back, it's 2017 and we're better than ever. We've missed you. And we have loads of mind-altering stuff in store for you this year. But before I go ahead, a hello to my lovely co-host, Lisa Cindy. What's up? I am. Happy 2017. Happy, 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 happy. <laughs> Is it a happy one? Uh, started out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't ask these questions. Feeling good. Uh, yeah, you, you're, you're hesitating. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Girl, it's fine. It I don't want to hear it. <laughs> It has been good, yes. Hope it's been good for everyone too. Uh, so how do you feel about resolutions? Don't make them, don't believe in them, but I do commit to better understanding the habits that I've created, habits that I don't want anymore, and try and as realistically as possible <laughs> <laughs> recreate new ones and not necessarily uh, when the clock strikes 12 uh, Lisa, Isn't that called a resolution? <laughs> no, because it's got nothing to do with the New Year's It's got to do with like rounding up the end of the year so Okay, it's like so I, I, do, I do quite time. like that right? Yeah. Because I was going to say we're doing this in the spirit of the New Year But we're doing this in the spirit of, of life, I feel Right? Mm. Today what we're doing is uh, we're doing resolutions with a twist and it just happens to be new. The twist is that we've highlighted some of our favorite shows as, you know, individually and we've extracted resolutions from them. So, yeah, ultimately what we really got out of each of those shows and why we chose them to be our favorite ones. So without further ado, let's get started. Let's get started indeed. Okay, you go. Okay, so one of my favorites um, is The Mummy Market. Oh, yes. The Notorious. I know. And that's where we had Pashida, whose mother is a domestic worker. And she was telling us about her experiences as the the child of a domestic worker. Mm. And she ultimately became a domestic Mm. worker. So we found that very interesting. Um, I know you like that show, Em. I love that show because it was so contentious. I think yeah. that's when we scared people. <laughs> but I also feel that's like that's when I, I, I feel like that's when people realize the gravity and the seriousness of what we're doing. So um, I'm, mm. I'm good with that. You know what I mean? Um, what I found very interesting though, um, and it, it actually took me aback was the amount of pride and joy that um, Pashida would speak of with regards to her mother, what her mother perceived of herself. It was beautiful. And and you couldn't talk her out of it, right? Yeah, exactly. She was like, no, but are you serious? Like, my mother was so proud of being able to get me to school, of being able to put food on the table. And there was such a pride yeah. in being able yeah. to be what she yeah. was. And so just help me realize that I shouldn't assume that people are unhappy yes, because they absolutely. live or they work in an environment that might be unjust, that might be neglected, that yeah, might be exploited. Absolutely. And the happiness isn't necessarily associated to circumstance. Yeah, sure. And I think that sure helped me to realize that, sorry, I just got distracted by the Gareth bobblehead. That's <laughs> <Yes>, always watching. <laughs> much. Uh, I think until then... This was a healthy thing. I think until then, um, I at least felt like domestic work was a plight that we needed to address. Mm. Instead of a, like a situation that we needed to try to optimize. Oh. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a, a, a role mm. that was great that we needed to make better. Yeah, the role doesn't need to disappear entirely. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that 
like it is genuine pride that these women mm. take mm. in their work, you know? And the injustice is part of it. Mm-hmm. But who's to say if the injustice wasn't there mm. that they wouldn't choose yes, to be true. domestic workers anyway. It's true. Do you know what I'm saying? And and what it also made me realize actually is that sometimes our perceived unhappiness for that role might also just be a reflection from us. Totes, totes that projection. We, we would be unhappy totes projection, there. Totes projection. So we assume that everyone in that must be unhappy and it's just not true. Yeah. yeah and I mean, it's... This also uh, this now brings me to my resolution. I think it's very ironic as women, mm. at least, let me talk for myself, being somebody who wants kids and who considers myself maternal. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And who would take pride in looking after her. Yeah. It's very ironic then for me to consider that like a a plight or a bad fate. Yeah. So it really did. It it challenged me to to think about that. It's the most it, to me. It's the most important job in the world mm. to to build a home. Mm. Um. Very so yeah, definite like projection of classism and stigma. So that brings me. Were you? Uh, do you no, wanna I was just going to ask you what is your first resolution. Oh, you want to know? Absolutely. <laughs> um. So to that point on um, basically being a woman and um. At least what I, what I value, uh, I realized as a, as a nurturer and as a woman mm. that domestic workers are such a big part of the, the feminist movement, right? So I guess my resolution is that thou shalt be a woke feminist and not that I identify as a feminist necessarily, mm. but if I can speak objectively about the movement, I think in South Africa and the world over, we hire uh, women yeah. to to help us to to tend to our home so that we can go out and build our our careers, um, make our mark in the world. You know that we can have have all of that freedom, and they're overlooked. And I actually think there would be a feminist. Interestingly enough, I think there would be a feminist argument against being a domestic worker. Yeah, definitely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Very quickly, did you get that from a show? Yes, I did. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? that was an original thought. What do you mean? What show? <laughs> I did. I got that from a show. Yes. Our show. Oh, um, yeah, so that was the conversation we had with, with Ruggie, the sociologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was one of our opening points. Yes. Uh, was how, what a, a critical part of, of the feminist movement. Domestic so w- workers was are. it We Will Know Us or was it the other? It was We Will Know Us. We Will Know Us. Will know <laughs> us. <laughs> so yes, we will know ourselves yes, as yes, feminists. Yes. And we will pay <laughs> tribute and yeah. uh, due respect to domestic workers and, and all pairs and childminders. So what for you does feminism mean or stand for? Girl. I mean, has, has, that, has that term expanded in its definition for you? Yeah, it's definitely, it's expanded and it's fallen apart mm. a bit. Mm, Funny enough. Yeah. Uh, because I actually think it is incredibly subjective and I think that there's, I don't know, I almost want to say it's like confirmation bias. Mm. Right. So if you already think something, then you will look for a feminist reason. Mm. I think a lot of people do that, which is why in one breath you can make an argument against domestic workers mm. existing from a feminist point of view. Yeah. We won't go into that. And then in this same breath, you, you, you realize that you wouldn't 
as a feminist, be able to assert yourself um, and go out into the world and work mm. and be free mm. if so, it wasn't for domestic workers. So where were you standing in terms of that that polarity before before the conversation with Ruggie? Because I had never associated domestic work to the feminist no, movement. No, never at all. At all. I mean, I, I probably was quite angry that domestic work was such a, a gendered role. And, um, similarly to what we discussed in, in the mommy market, uh, I felt like it was a, a commodification of nurturing. Yes. Of being female. And I guess, like, in, I want to, I want to use a strong word. I almost want to say that it felt like a prostitution. Mm. Of, of a female role. Yes, an exploitation. An exploitation of it. So yeah, that's that. What is your next one? So the next one is your Bunty 17 you, which Ooh, I enjoyed. <laughs> which I enjoyed doing and the Bunty reflection. But you've got to say it properly, say it properly. Your Bunty servant. Oh, oh, your Bunty servant. And you. And you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. <laughs> so, um, what I, I mean, I, I was genuinely very, very surprised at the things that we read there. But what I was more surprised by was how a lot of the ways that they spoke about engagement between the European and the non-European or the Bantu are actually actions that we still have amongst us today. Like it made me wonder how much of our actions are deliberate and conscious mm. and how much comes from a blueprint and that yeah. we just we just redo yeah. and redo it's and redo. It's true. We execute a lot of our interactions. Um mm. and that really it's based on preconceptions, right? Yeah. About I mean I was saying to you earlier, uh when you're talking to somebody and you respond to them, say you're having a debate, mm. right? I think seventy percent and I really would like to ask a psychologist this, um because I think it is it's potentially Freudian, <laughs> mm. but I, I'm going to say on a hunch, I think 70% you're responding to who somebody is rather than what they're saying. Absolutely. I do agree. And also, and also responding with a response in mind before hearing mm. what the person says mm. again, like responding from your frame of reference and from your experiences. Like people are just confirming their own bias because even when someone is saying something you might agree with, if you don't agree with who they are, you're going to find a way to disagree with where it's coming from. But I guess that's also it's, it's like my struggle with intent, because like at times intent means everything, you know, like if someone doesn't intend to be racist because mm. they truly don't intend to be, but they don't know that by doing that, they are being that. Mm. Mm then were they racist, you mm, know, as mm. opposed to like, well, like when do we get to put that aside? Fine. Your intention wasn't that, but you must understand that this is the environment that we live in. So your intention sometimes um, doesn't. Thank mean you. Anything. Thank you for that point, because it's a perfect segue to my next resolution, right? <laughs> which is thou shalt know the difference between white and whiteness. Show that show was from, that was a show we did um, on Basically reflections mm. And it was called Guerrilla Warfare mm, mm. So and explain For the first time uh, What you're saying Kind of made sense To me Because that often don't make sense <laughs> <laughs> For the first time 
ever. She finally <laughs> made sense. Oh, okay, I'm joking. It's too smart for me. I can't keep up. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but jokes aside, like I, I, like I used to think this whole whiteness versus white thing was frivolous. Mm. You know what I mean? And it was just like over racialization. To be honest, I just wrote it off really. Mm. Um. So up until that point, I brought off everything you said. I didn't care when you. <laughs> You about. might have noticed I didn't care. <laughs> I but still said it. <laughs> it. It speaks to what you're saying about you know, like sometimes it's. I think it's good to respect intent so mm-hmm. that you don't attack people personally. Yeah, right. Completely. Um, I agree. But I think it's it, it's about the ball, not the man. Yeah. So don't play the man. Mm. Okay. The ball is whiteness. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 systemic. It's an ideology. I think it actually is a condition. Yes, I think blackness is a condition. Yeah, right. They're mutually conditions. Yeah, and they come with certain mindsets that aren't deliberate. So you've got that are inherited. That are inherited. Yeah, and you can't hold it against the man. So you've got the, you've got to set the man aside. And I think that's where kind of you know there's no place for intent when it comes to an ideology. That is entrenched. So I wonder when, um, and let's take Trump for instance. Because oh my God, can we not take Trump? We gotta do it. Oh. We gotta go there. We gotta go there. Can I make my New Year's resolution to un-Donald Trump? What does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. You can't undo, you can't undo <laughs> that guy. Let's just use Donald Trump as like a, a personification of. Um, more than the man himself. Okay, actually, let's take Brexit. Thank you. Because with Brexit, love Brexit, <laughs> love it. Okay. As opposed to Donald weird. Trump. Okay. <laughs> it's weird. Why are you loving on Brexit? <laughs> okay, but but when um they said that as soon as you know Brexit was um announced that you know they want they are going to separate from the EU. Uh, there was a 41% increase in hate crimes. So people could see. 41%. 41. So I don't know the percentages were since Donald Trump's election, but they, they spoke of yeah. an increase in that as well. So what, I, what <laughs> I'm wondering is. Imminent, imminent, uh, <laughs> so touch wood. <laughs> so what I'm wondering is if they, if this shows that, if it shows that there's a direct correlation between, um, hate speech, and, you know, people being discriminated because of their race, because of their gender, because of their sexual orientation, because mm. of whatever it is, religion. Um, if there's a direct correlation between that and the actual hate crimes, and you have those that are discriminated against insisting, but my life will be under threat. Mm. If you continue to think this way, mm. can we discuss a more meaningful way to coexist? Mm. And the person insists that... They get to think independently. They get to think exactly how they want. They get to declare that this is their land and everyone else must leave. Mm. At which point can we point the finger at the man and say, okay, but this has gone to a stage where you do actually know that there are repercussions to this thinking, that there are repercussions to these statements. Then we can point the finger at the man. And, And I think that's what's, 
what seems certainly like if you're a head of state. <laughs> certainly in the in the in in the event of, of like governments mm. and leaders, mm. I think you should point the finger at the man because I mean, I sp- look, it's not the, always a, the case, but you expect that they know better, and it is their job to know better. I don't think Trump doesn't know better. Exactly. I mean, I th- I think he 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 knows that he has an audience. No, exactly, and that's where I think there is intent, and I point the finger at him. But the fact that he knows, not that he created the audience, the fact that he knows that he would already get the audience. You make a good point about the audience. We're all predisposed to one thing. There's one thing we're all predisposed to, Mm. and that's self-interest. I don't think so. You don't think we're predisposed to self-interest? Not at all. Friend, now we're having an existential conversation. What do you mean? Everything, everything survivalist. Is based on self-interest. Okay, but let's just okay. Say you don't say hypo- yeah, hypothetically. Say for instance it. you believed it. Yes. Hypothetically, <laughs> I'm trying to think about it. Uh, hmm. Hypothetically, right? Yeah. If we were all predisposed to self-interest, yeah, that is what breeds indoctrination. I mean, because I get what you mean. Because like a Gandhi, it would be any self-interest for more people to love each other. Exactly. So I, okay, from yeah. that perspective, yeah. I can it's get it. It's self-actualization. Any form of self-actualization, even if it is benevolent. Mm. Better word, generous. <laughs> yeah. Self-interested. Yeah. Right. And I think that's what creates the audience rather than intent. I think the leader has intent. I think mm. anyone who exploits that has intent. I think the audience has less intent. I think they I have agree. a predisposition to self-interest. But the thing is, I think that we make conscious decisions around our self-interest. Both conscious and unconscious. It's very interesting. This Look, so, I also, I want to agree with you. In the sense that I think it's an excuse sometimes. Like, mm. it's like when men go, oh, well, I'm a man. So, yeah. you know, like men cheat or men. Boys will be boys. Boys will be boys. It's just a man thing. Yeah. It's not a man thing. It's an excuse. So I think there is a fine line to draw. Yeah. I just don't know where it is. I agree. But I, I do definitely think that it's gotten to a stage where sometimes it's the man and sometimes it's the ball. Mm. That it's hard to tell because. Yeah, it's just hard to tell. Yeah, but the man can't be out of it anymore. My next resolution was about Made Views with Linda. Yes, that was a lovely show. I don't know if you remember Mm. the show, but it was um, about 21-year-old Linda who Mm -hmm. started domestic work when she was 16 years old. Um, And after her mother passed away, so she just took over her mother's role. And she also started to take care of her little sister and eventually got a baby, Hope, who was with us. And um I think she she really has the most amazing fire in her of like anyone I've met in quite a while. And I think what she continues actually to teach me is that your perception of a vision for yourself, your capacity, possibilities for yourself and self-will actually has nothing to do with your history. It doesn't hinge on your history and it doesn't hinge on even your current story. Mm. Um, and I think that's a fundamental thing to remember because often we remain victims of our history and we remain victims of our present. So what I like about her is that her story belongs to her mm. um, and it doesn't belong to circumstance. And that I find profound. I think that's absolutely beautiful, beyond beautiful. Mm. And I almost want to now... Go to my last point, but maybe I'll save it for last and I'll go <laughs> to my next point. You just keep giving me amazing segues. Oh, stop. It's like everything you say is a segue. It's great. Like we're synced. But to unsync us, I'm going to talk about 
how being rich doesn't make you rich. Right? So the, thou shalt not believe that the bank's money is your money. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Uh, And that was from Maidenomics. And I'm about to tell you that your domestic worker might be richer than you are. <laughs> might be wealthier. Wealthier than you are. Than you are. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, don't know the difference, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can I tell you the difference? Okay, okay so. <laughs> okay, I got this, girl. I got this. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> okay, so they say that wealth is when your passive income uh, can cover your expenses. So you don't have to work at all. But everything that is your expenses is covered for mm. and the rest, whatever else you get, be it passive or active, um, is available as expendable income. Some take it even as far as to have their passive income support their luxury lifestyles. So be it a luxury car that they want to get or a vacation or whatever it is. So sure. they cover expenses and they cover luxuries. The way you've just complicated my vocabulary. Really? Unnecessarily. I, I promise I mean, it's the simplest no way. It's the no simplest way. No, there's no going back. I could have put this. Now I've got to differentiate. Like I can way. never use them interchangeably ever again. <laughs> Do you understand? <laughs> that you've complicated I know, my I know, life. I know. I know. But once you know it. <laughs> so, okay. So, but, but what's really, I mean, what is important and, and why it's important to distinguish between being rich and being wealthy is because a lot of people have are rich, right? In mm. terms of the money that they get in per month. Mm. Like it is a substantial enough amount of money to be considered yeah, but it doesn't rich. doesn't necessarily cover them. Yeah. So it's about what goes out and what remains. That's what wealth is. Yes. Uh-huh. And what's important as well to note is that you can be rich and not wealthy. Yeah. And you can be poor, but wealthy. Exactly. Which is exactly the point, right? About mm. um, domestic workers and their, you know, the the financial analyst uh, that we spoke to on that show, her name's Nikki. And she commented on how amazingly domestic workers um, manage their their money because Mm. they have so little and they have to stretch it. So they're incredibly good at saving and planning, which... I think is a quality that is valuable and that you don't necessarily learn if you're used to having an abundance. And it's probably a lot. I mean, I know like credits in South Africa, look all over the world, but in South Africa is really bad. And yeah, it just helped me to rethink my relationship with money, right? Just Mm. because I have maybe a significant amount coming in doesn't necessarily make me well off. And actually, if you talk about financial freedom and it's like such a wishy-washy um, motivational speaker term, but it's fine, I'll use it. Uh, financial freedom is what people sort after, right? It, it's it's a New Year's re- resolution. It's like what people want is, is financial freedom. I, I don't think many people know to want that. Maybe I just come from that kind of... Are you ki- are you in that circle, <laughs> girl? I d- I don't know I anyone around like a, me that knows I, I that. Thought that was really. a universal thing. Is that not a universal thing? No, like oh, like I, I I know people that hope that they get paid more than no. Hope that they... I've been he- so I've been hearing about financial wow. freedom since I was in nappies. <laughs> okay, you're on the good peeps. So much, right? <laughs> but it, I, you know, like I knew it as a term, but yeah. I didn't understand it until that show. And so if we talk about being financial shilly free it it it's essentially about what remains 
after everything go- that needs to go out goes out, right? Mm. And how much disposable money you have. Mm. Um, and a lot of people don't. Yeah, definitely. So, yes, um, domestic workers, I think it would be alarming how financially free mm. many, many domestic workers are. And I also think it's a powerful thought to think that those that are, that have very little, um, stand to actually sometimes reach wealth quicker than mm. those with more. Nuts, bananas. Yeah. More money, more problems. Then my next resolution uh, came from the show with Amanda, uh, Made Views with Amanda. So Amanda, she's a Jewish woman. She's a copywriter. Um, and has, funny as all her. Oh, oh my yeah, God, she's a we comedian. Love her. Yes, yes. yes. And um, she grew up in Johannesburg and she grew up, I think, in what some would maybe call the conscious white circles. Mm. Um, and so she unpacked for us, I guess, the, the journey between when she didn't quite oh know what was going oh on. Yeah, circles. girl. Yeah, that's what I'm going to call it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. Gosh. <laughs> so. Your expectations are just so low. Girl. So, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so she gave us a journey between the times when things seemed normal or not quite strange or whatever to the points where she started picking up on things that might have been a little inconsistent or a little prejudicial or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I found the journey quite nice and very, um, honest, very refreshingly honest. Um, I mean, overall, what I've always appreciated about Amanda is that she's, She's just so open to confronting very honest truths Absolutely. about herself and mm. about society and that kind of stuff. So it yeah, made quite a beautiful show. And what I got out of that show ultimately was um, to beware of the level of harshness that you offer a generation who had experienced racial injustice and discrimination as a normal social component. Mm. So... um and and then, but to also really understand it as, um, you know, to to like tell someone that the thing that they believed to be absolutely normal and just the way that life is, is you know bad or was evil or whatever it is, um, when in their heads it was considered absolutely normal, is mm. in a way to deny their reality, mm. which is something that the marginalized always insist on not having done to them, mm. like the marginalized. Don't want someone to tell them, no, you're reading too much into something. No, that's not really true. And yet that's what we can sometimes do to that generation who I think for a lot of them genuinely didn't know. I mean, if you're a three-year-old and you saw your parents doing something, it's the only thing to think of that is that that is just how things happen. Mm. And so I think we definitely, as painful as it can be sometimes, (laughs) the ways that we engage with these things really do need a lot more compassion. Mm. Um, Because again, it's very fundamental to remember that we all inherited this. It wasn't something that we manufactured in our backyards and threw it out there. Agreed. Could not have said it better myself. Yeah, because you didn't. (laughs) I'm joking. You know what? I'm never complimenting you again. (laughs) Ever. Ever. I'm joking. Eh, Okay. Jokey, jokey. Okay. Uh, so, mm. this is a big one for me, hey? Uh-huh. This is like, this might be my biggest one. Okay. Okay. Because uh-huh. I've suffered, hey? 
oh. of Safat. Okay. Right? So I learned from, you know, the show we did with Lorato called Raising South Africans Part 2. And Lorato mm. was adopted um, when mm. she was 12 mm. by a white couple and basically has had all these identity issues and existential crises and whatever else um but really a beautiful a beautiful story um the one thing she spoke to Mm. in particular was black guilt it's real Mm. it's so real even Mm. if if you're not adopted by (laughs) i've certainly felt it my whole life Mm. um can you elaborate on that it's just this feeling that because historically black people are disadvantaged, right? Yeah. And because in this country, the majority of black people still are. Yeah. That you shouldn't be successful. Mm. That you, you feel bad for it. It's, it, it does feel a bit treasonous or like you shouldn't enjoy your success. Yeah. You know, and all you should do is plow it back and feel guilty. About it and hide it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do like, dude, I, I reach down <laughs> when I go <laughs> to the homeland. <laughs> like, ah. reaching down is a real thing <laughs> that happens. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, you see, pack, <laughs> I take all my old clothes. <laughs> Girl, are you serious? As few as possible so oh, that, wow. cause, so, like I can repeat an outfit. <laughs> really? <laughs> Maybe for like two days. Do they buy it? Do they buy it? I don't know, but I know <laughs> I feel better. <laughs> oh wow! Look, my accent gives it away. <laughs> okay, what I'm wondering is, you know, repeating outfit, <laughs> twanging, biatch. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fool us. Wow, that is okay. Okay, so so do you think though? And I mean, I guess yeah, you definitely know what guilt feels like. But do you also think that it it reflects any level of respect for the place that you're going to? That there's no point in being extravagant in those environments. Is look, there is a level of like respect, Mm. and there's a simple there's a simplicity about their life that I admire and I value. Yeah. You know? And I enjoy being a part of it for a week. But you, but you can't <laughs> help it. Um no, and I, I you know, I'd like to think I could live that way. I think there's just so much to learn there. Mm. So that there is that part of it. Mm. But there's definitely a guilt element. Do you think you can do more than you currently do? No. Do you, like do you think it's gotten to a stage where the guilt is actually because you maybe do have more capacity than you give to those that have lesser than you. Dude, it's like poverty mm. is like a trendy pair of shoes. Yeah. That I didn't get. You know what I'm saying? And like, I know it's, that sounds really bizarre. That sounds quite hectic. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it feel it feels, I know it sounds twisted. Right. Hmm. And now maybe I'm adding an extra layer to it. So there's a guilt part and then there's a not fitting in part. So what do you feel like you were offered? If you were to use that same analogy, what do you feel you were offered? Something less swaggy, (laughs) but more comfortable. 
I don't know. I almost want to say, and you hear it in like rap songs about like, oh no, I grew up in the Bronx. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we make stuff like that a trend. We put, there's an aesthetic, uh, about like coming up rough or like. And yet it started by insisting. From the bottom, now we're here. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, but, <laughs> but then, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I, I try. But, but, and yet it actually started from people insisting that they don't have to be, they don't have to feel ashamed of where they come from. No. And so they, they wanted to hype it up and say, no, guys. I like, know. I, and it would almost help just to have a poor background. Mm. And look, I can't, thank God for apartheid. <laughs> really? Are you sure that's what you want to stick no, to? That, no, no, that no. statement. Okay, no. No, no, no. I'm explain. I'm explain. Because it gives me, from that perspective, since we're in like, we're discussing twisted things, I have that leg to stand on. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> from that point of that view, that you were somewhat disadvantaged. Exactly, you know, before, and systemically, yeah. I guess I still am. But that continues, right? Yeah. But and and that does. It makes me. It's so strange. It makes me feel better. But does does it? Because yes, is it okay? Because I don't feel no guilt. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I'm very very aware of of the privileges that I have, not just financially. Um, that I have over, I mean, especially also over South African black people as a foreign yeah. black person. Yeah. So yes, I mean, I used to feel excessively guilt, but then at the same time, I realized that it's not necessarily the privilege that is the problem, right? It's again, the, the framework that we're in that has allowed some to be fortunate and no, some absolute, to not be absolutely and and i mean i guess the reason why i allowed myself to let go of the guilt is because guilt is crippling and then it's incredibly crippling unproductive it's, it's, it's <laughs> and really and i mean that's a blackness thing hey mm. if ever there was one but but i also think as a black south african i think other black south africans can yeah. make you feel yeah. guilty for yeah. that yeah and i don't quite get that yeah no, so yeah, no, you will, you, you would probably get exempt from that. But I mean, I, I've seen, or I've heard actually, and sometimes seen like some, some of my friends who were the, like from the rich yeah. black family in a, in an extended family. Yeah. And they would speak of like their aunt cursing the family or yeah, I, whatever but no, it is when you're the successful we, black we, we family. We could just bring a chair, you know, before we mm. even take it to cursing. Oh, oh, oh. Bring a chair. Give it's a chair. Give it a chair. I used to get teased. Mm. I used to get, I remember distinctly um, mm. because throughout my school years of the black people, my family always had a little bit more, or at least it seemed that way. My mom was so you weren't that just... you weren't that black kid that was sponsored to be in a white. <laughs> it wasn't you, eh? No, it my mama you. paid. Okay, it was your money. That's okay. so funny. No, but you know, and it was funny because just my mom. It, it's just my mom's financial sensibility is spend. It's like no, okay, a little bit. She's mm. responsible, but she's generous, and yeah. I think it was just her parenting style that made it look that way. Not necessarily that we had more, yeah. right? Yeah. But I used to get teased for it. Yeah. And I by black people or by white people? No. Nigga! White people I would have steered someone. <laughs> oh, okay. I would have steered it someone. The, it was the black kids. No no no, it was not the whites. How dare they? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was the it was the black kids. Hmm. Um I, I, I think when something when you experience 
experience that kind of bullying for, from a young age. It just never leaves you. Yeah, it's true. So I can rationalize not feeling that way, but I still feel like a... All right, enough of my therapy session. Um, okay, so my final one uh, for me was such an enlightening show, and it was The Other with Raggy. Oh, I loved So many insights. Um, but I think what I found... Um, Raggy is a sociologist that I grew up with. She's also from Congo, the DRC. And um, her passion is feminism and othering and race theory and those kinds of things. And I mean, ultimately what we try to understand with the show was how we make the other, how we, how we create otherness within society and how that starts within our homes. And um, she spoke of this couple uh, that she went to, um, I think like supply water to or something it was some informal settlement and she was part of a team that had to supply water mm. to the informal settlement. And the couple uh, said something like it was God's wish for black people to serve white people. It was divine. Oh my goodness. I remember that moment. It I, was, yeah, it was like, honest, a, it was a divine thing. So, so, dropped. so one of the things, I got out of that <laughs> was again sympathy and compassion for where people are coming from and that sometimes because something can be such a normal thing, a normal societal thing that people can start to associate those things to either a divine a way of existing or sometimes they can associate things like pain, constant pain or constant suffering to culture. So it it might be a cultural thing to live below the poverty line. Mm. It can be a cultural thing for mm. people to to live lavish lives. Mm. People when people start associating it to culture, they start perceiving it as a lot more normal than any deliberate act mm. that is bad or good. Mm. And which explains that, is that that explains exactly why I feel black guilt. Though, mm. do you know what I'm saying? Mm. It's this normalization of of being hard done by. Absolutely, absolutely. And how did you get out of it? Or how, like, how am I not in there? And that's the thing. It it doesn't, you know, human nature is funny Mm. because really all we want is to fit in above everything else. Mm. And so, and it's actually so interesting because Trevor Noah, remember Trevor Noah has said numerous times that he came from a very poor background, but he never felt poor because everyone else around him was poor. Yeah. So that fitting in is more, it's more important to human beings to fit in than to have a lot. It, People only want to be rich because it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Or more comfortable. For lack of a better way to express it. No, because we've made it aspirational to have that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Okay, so it's worth showing. Exactly. If we made it aspirational, if, God forbid, actually not God forbid, I wish rather, Mm -hmm. if we all decided to be minimalist tomorrow Mm. and that having a lot was just like not cool, you know, if it was just whack. Then nobody would want it. And actually, we had asked Lerato that, remember? Yeah. Whether she would choose, you know, the wealth and her comforts or like her identity or getting to fit in. And I mean, hands down, she chose fitting in. Anyway, uh, okay, so that brings me to my last point. My last point is from The Matrix. We did that show with Lindy mm-hmm. Ware. Who yeah. has an amazing story, was a domestic worker, became a businesswoman, um, who now places domestic workers. Mm. She has an agency. 
And basically, she spoke about really what, how what differentiated her mm. was her mindset. Yes. Right? That she got from Tony Robbins. That she got from of all people. <laughs> <laughs> I think she was like five. Crazy. You said something like, I don't know, just do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's all she needed. Again. <laughs> that's all she needed. But anyway, yeah, and she was saying how, like, when some people see hawkers, for instance, in the street, right? They mm. see poverty. But when she sees hawkers, she sees entrepreneurs because yeah. she thinks about the operation. Yeah. And she explained it quite well. She was talking about how often, um, for instance, if you go to an informal flea market, there's got to be somebody managing that operation so to, 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 to kind of um, regulate competition. Mm, right? Absolutely. Um, and I mean, I imagine like it, it, it just all seems very collaborative, mm. right? The way they, they don't kill each other. <laughs> when they're all selling oranges. Yeah. Everyone's yeah, selling yeah. oranges, but they don't kill each other. Mm. That is profound. And, and also the, we can compete and be fine. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> but then also the, the way that she passes that down to her child. So, you know, when exactly. she stops and asks exactly. her child, what do you see? What do you see? Mm. And so basically, and to, to start already teaching these different ways like different lenses to look at the same thing. Absolutely. And that also goes, I mean, that goes for the hawkers themselves. I think there are those that see themselves as, as hawkers who are hustlers and there are those that see themselves as entrepreneurs and guess who's probably more successful. And it's a choice, Mm. which is so interesting because ultimately, I mean, it speaks to her experience as well as an, domestic mm. worker that she didn't see herself mm. as a domestic worker but as someone that did that so that self-image. she could build self-image her own is absolutely everything so mm. my resolution is thou shalt declare thy entrepreneurship <laughs> <laughs> and with that i'm going to declare our entrepreneurship yeah. uh, you may have known you probably didn't <laughs> We're not that explicit, <laughs> but uh, this is more, we love you and we love the show and it's just been such an amazing vehicle for everything that we do and a think tank. It's just the most critical part of what we do, but it's not the only part. Um, and I won't give too much away, but we run a business. <laughs> yep. Trying to make money. <laughs> um, and it, it still is around the importance of, of, of domestic work and how we can begin to rebuild that institution um, and to, to maximize its value. And you'd be surprised how much more domestic workers can do than just clean your house. <laughs> you'd be surprised. But we're going we're gonna to show you that, that yeah. they're ninjas. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to give too much away. But yes, next week we're going to unpack, that for, unpack that for you. We had like, a, we, from a business perspective, we had a really good year last year. And we're official and we've got like seed capital. And we couldn't have done it without the show. I think we're confident enough now that we are a business. Um, But it's important for us to declare that Because I think With a space like this That has a stigma It's easy for people to think charity And we don't want that And I'll let Tuliza expand Because she's very, very passionate About (laughs) that I am too But she's very passionate (laughs) Yeah, so so this is definitely not a charity Um, And 
I mean, I won't, I won't get too much into the, the inception of the idea of charity, but it does stem inherently from colonialism. Yes. Um, but it was, it was quite manipulative and deliberately exploitative in nature. So before they used to associate charity to, um, ministerial work and what do you call it? Um, missionary, missionary, mm, yeah, mission, missionary work. Um, it was also associated to civilizing mm. the Africans because at that stage they really believed that that was a favor. Mm. Um, and so, so that was what it was inherently founded on. And then with time it started to change and change. And then it became what we understand now to be charity. But then a lot of them remain exploitative. A lot of them find, um, charity as a means to access certain resources that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. Sometimes a trade-off makes absolutely no sense between what they give countries versus what they get to take. Um, and, and sometimes they also use it as the route that allows them to do experimental drug work, that kind of stuff. Mm. And so it remains a space that's highly, highly toxic mm. and exploitative. But then what's also, I mean, I guess on a psychological level as well, it, it, keeps and sustains the perception of African dependence mm. on the West or the North or whatever it is. So, um, and dependence by no means is useful. Mm. And especially for a continent that has needed to establish independence and sustainable ind independence mm. for a while now. Mm. So the idea of charity makes no sense. And for me, and it's, and also especially in this role where what we're actually dealing with is probably the po the most powerful socioeconomic so cog within our society. That's what I was going to say, you know, for me, very, very importantly, is what you're saying 100% behind that, like, anybody got time yeah, <laughs> to perpetuate that shit, mm. but... The fact of the matter is that this is such a valuable role. Yeah. And as it stands, even as exploited and unjust mm. as it is, these women contribute so significantly to our economy at yeah. its base. Yeah. Their output is so much higher than so many graduates employees sitting at their desk behind laptops on Facebook yes. pretending to work. Uh, I mean, we highlighted so, so, earlier on the feminist movement alone. Just mm. if you think about who is behind women empowerment yes. and if you think about women empowerment as an economic strategy, yeah. right? It's, 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 it's not even just, an, it, it, it's an economic necessity. Yeah. So it's about time that it starts economically reflecting. Absolutely. And, and it, at the moment, absolutely has not been. And especially in the third world countries where cheap labor is so readily available and that they fall under the category of cheap labor, it undermines so significantly the actual value that they bring. What the business is founded on and why it is a profit-making business, and it's not necessarily profit that will um, come only to us. I mean, it, it must come to us for the purpose of creating more projects as well as, you know, the capacity to like enforce those projects and that kind of stuff. And the yeah. capacity to also support the fact that these, but these the different other, things the can other... exist. But I, but I, it's also just very important to note that this is a profit making thing because it is about the reflection of value to 
actual capacity and means and absolutely yeah and the other thing about being for profit rather than non-profit is it gives you freedom yeah and we need that to do what we're doing if we were a charity we would depend on donors if we depend on donors they would tell us what to do and we don't like that yeah um but also this doesn't need that so yeah. that's also i mean there's just multiple reasons but this is why next week's show will be interesting and you should tune in Mm. But with that, happy, happy, happy New Year! Um, those are our resolutions. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, yeah. And uh, we'll leave you with the final clip that we're just going to play out with. It was from our interview with Gareth, um, in May. And it was, it was just good to be in a room with someone that seemed to really understand it and unpack our intent so well so which is actually why i quite like that bobblehead <laughs> i never got time for like, that bobblehead first though. Of all, it, it first freaked me out <laughs> big brother was watching but then i remembered big brother gets it so <laughs> it's kind of reassuring so good point, we'll good keep point. we'll keep the bobblehead <laughs> thanks for listening guys um yeah and i mean i guess with that it's also really just a thank you to the um station cliff central for the platform and also for the absolute freedom to put on our show whichever whatever content we wanted to put on uh, we really appreciate it and yeah so that's why we're playing out with that just a reminder as well twitter at made project that's m-a-i-d-e project as well as facebook it's called the made sessions please try and find it like it um and give us your feedback we started a brand new show on cliffcentral.com a short while ago it's called the made sessions and it is it's terrific it's doing something that nobody else has ever done before it's the brainchild of the two ladies sitting in front of me now Mbalin Jomani and Tuliza Sindi and these two have decided to put together an incredible collection of stories of revelations of conversations of Amazing experiences from women who work as domestic workers. It's amazing how um, how connected to, uh, we mentioned this already, but how connected to the whole world a domestic worker mm. is. She um, she has access to places that no one else has. Yes. She has an opportunity to share that information or not, mm. as she decides. She knows where all the secrets are. If, if there's an affair in the house, she knows mm. before the, the wife knows. If you want to build or destroy South Africa, <laughs> rally the domestic workers. That's what I'm going to say. But, but what I found so beautiful is that they, I mean, the ones that we've been talking to have no bitterness. No. No. They don't care yeah, to do wrong amazing. by anyone. They they do sincerely just care for the because goodness these are, of these everyone. These are mothers and yes. sisters and wives, and they're just trying to make it. And a they living. step yes. into that role of mother. They don't just do what they're paid for. They go above and beyond, and it's their instinct to do that. I think that the show is fantastic. I uh, I can't wait for every episode. It's been terrific just to kind of scratch the surface and get to know either of you. And I hope that also we'll get to know some of these women who are who are absolutely changing society at its at its base, and and who are responsible for so many of us Definitely. in so many ways, being the people that we are. Cliff Central Revolution. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.